Well, praise the Lord, everyone. I like that. Man, the Lord is good to us, isn't he? And if you are visiting, welcome. If you are a uh, regular, welcome. Just welcome everybody. Oh, man, we're going to have a great day today. In fact, it's going to be a short sermon. I'm going to get to the point. I'm going to stab you with it. But then I'm going to offer you a Band-Aid. So, so it's going to be great. Hey, before I get started, everybody write down October 6th. On October 6th, we are going to have uh, Reverend Jeff Lee with us. And he is going to be here and speak for us. He is a great guy. Uh, he lives in Irvine, California. And he's going to come out and he's going to help us cast vision for our next steps in the church. So you do not want to miss October 6th because October 6th we'll have service and then we're going to go over to the gym and eat lunch and then we're going to have a meeting, a vision casting meeting. So it's going to be a lot of fun. So make sure you're here October 6th. Uh, what day is that? Oh, you guys are so sharp and good looking. This is the best looking church Man, would you just look over at somebody around you and just say, man, you're just a good-looking person. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I looked out there, and, I, and some of you were thinking, yeah, well, I am a good-looking person. Yeah. yeah, no, that day on October 6th, we are going to have a potluck, and, and uh, Jeanette is going to, to uh, coordinate that for us. So we'll get more details on that later. We are talking about doomsday preppers, and, and this is not a, a negative, this is not a negative uh, topic. Some people think, oh man, the Lord's coming back, and they're all nervous and worried. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited about the Lord coming back. I'm going to say that again. I'm pretty excited about the Lord coming back, because isn't that why we serve Him? It's you know, and if you're, if you're putting all your eggs in this basket of this life, man, you're not going to have a very big scramble. But if you're trusting in the Lord and, and, and you're looking for what's going to happen and what's coming up, man, that's going to be amazing. In, in 1 Peter 4, 7, we talked about this last week. He said, the end of all things is near. I love that. Here's Peter, and he's talking to his audience, those that he's, that are reading this letter, and he said, listen, the end of all things is near. You know, it's nearer now than it was then. And he says, the end of all things is near. So he said, okay, guys, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a whole list of things that you need to do to be ready for when the Lord returns. When that trumpet sounds, I want you to be ready. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. We talked about that last week. Being clear-minded, understanding what the day is. Understanding the circumstances in which you live. Understanding that this world is not your home. Living a self-controlled life that, that you don't have anything in your life, any weight or sin, that would hinder your prayer. 
We didn't talk much about prayer. We talked a lot last week about being clear-minded and about being self-controlled or living a life that, is, that will help you get to that place that you, that you can pray. But I will tell you that if you have anything in your life, if you're not thinking about the world in which we live in, you're so involved in this world that you're focused on the things of this world and you're not focused on God, it's going to hinder your prayer. You won't know what to pray for. If you're living a lifestyle that has things that are displeasing to God, you're constantly going to have to go back. And, and, and I hate it. I've gone through those seasons in my life, and you've gone through those seasons in your life, where the very first thing you do when you start praying is say, God, forgive me. You know, and you spend almost your whole time just asking God to forgive you. But there is a, there is a lifestyle that we can have that, that doesn't inhibit our relationship with God, that we can hear from him clearly. And that's the reason why uh, Peter says, hey, understand the days you live in. Live a life that doesn't hinder your prayer so you can pray effectively and fervently that you can, you can make a difference. Because if prayer is anything for the child of God, it's everything for the child of God. Prayer changes things. Not just some things. Prayer can change anything. Prayer is what we're called to do. That we are, we, I don't know why God chose prayer, but he did. And, and I'm thankful he did. And here's a good thing about prayer. You know, sometimes there are people that are very articulate and they can speak so fluently and so well. And then there's others that are so intellectual and and there's others that are so sophisticated, and there's others that are so, uh, you know, business-minded uh, and, and administration. And, and you may look around at other people and say, well, I'm not as good as, as that person, or I'm not good as, uh, at that, as that person is. But the reality is, each and every one of us have some things in common. Number one, all of us have a 24-hour day every day. Yeah, I'm going to kind of get a response here. <laughs> All right. All of us have a 24-hour day. All of us get to determine how we spend that day. Prayer is... I like it. <laughs> we can spend as much time in prayer as we want. We can communicate with God as often as we want because God is no respecter of persons. Your prayers are just as important as anybody else's prayers. Your prayers can tear down the walls of the enemy as much and as, as effective as anybody else's prayer. It doesn't have to be eloquent. It doesn't have to be... Uh, a wide use of verbiage your your vocabulary doesn't have to be 20,000 words you can you can have a small vocabulary you can speak native uh, tongue of Orlando if you want instead of saying for you can say fur I don't care but the truth is if you pray with passion and purpose God hears those prayers, and God acts on prayers. Man, you have the opportunity to pray just as I do, just as all of us do, and we all have that 24-hour window, so I would say pray. But uh, Peter goes on to say, 
uh, some, something else. He, he goes on to talk about something else, and this is where I want to get to today. 1 Peter 4, 8. He says, above all, love each other deeply. Wow. Above all, kind of like each other. Tolerate one another. Ignore one another. No. He says above all. Above all. First priority. Number one. Numero uno. Number one. Priority. Love each other deeply. Number one on the list. Number one. There are many things in this life that can take a high priority in your daily walk, your business, your job, events, family, everything else. But, but Peter said, listen, before anything else in your life, before all other things in your life, here's the thing that has to be number one. You have to love each other deeply. Our, our uh, Supreme Court Justice, Neil Gorsuch, I was listening to him the other day, and he does something when he was teaching. I believe he taught at Yale. Um, he did something in his classes that was just amazing. And I'm hoping that nobody uh, in France knows about it because I'm borrowing it. And if they haven't heard about it, it's going to be my own idea. No, but he, at the end of each one of his classes, he had all of his students, as a homework assignment, write out their own obituary. Yeah. Now think about that for a moment. What would you say if you were writing your own obituary? What would you want to be remembered for? Here's the amazing thing about it. No one, according to Gorsuch, he said no one ever came back and talked about the houses they lived in talked about the cars they drove or talked about the money they had in their bank. It always revolved around relationships. Let me ask you, if you were going to pen on paper your own obituary, what would you say about you? Devoted husband, wife, Son, daughter, father, mother. What, what would you say about you? It's a reminder to each and every one of us as we're thinking about that. That this life, this life is about relationships. And relationships, good relationships, quality relationships, those that, that you that you really just can't wait to engage in. Always have love. Love is the key to a great relationship. I was thinking about the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. You know, and, and Jesus is talking to the to the religious leaders and he's talking to those that are that are listening to him and he tells this story of a 
of a man that had, had gone on the way and, and as he was traveling, he had been robbed and beat up and abused. The man was laying in the, in, on the side of the road, bleeding to death, and, and a priest walked by, and, and a priest walked by and saw him and walked on the other side of the street and, and kept on going because he was so busy doing his priestly duties. And, and then a scribe came by, and a scribe did the same thing, kind of walked away because he was so focused on the things he had to do. And then Jesus uses a Samaritan. Now, the Samaritans were from the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, when they, when they split. And, and, and the Samaritans, when, when they were taken captive, uh, they brought in other nationalities, and they intermixed. And the Jews, the Jewish people in the southern kingdom, didn't associate with the Samaritans because they felt like they weren't true Jewish people. And Jesus is so cool that he uses a Samaritan, somebody that everybody in Israel looked down on, to help illustrate his point. That in any, by the way, he wasn't, he wasn't uh, saying that all priests and all scribes were bad. Here's Jesus' point. You can get so busy being spiritual that you're no earthly good. That you can get so busy being a Christian that you forget to be like Christ. And, and, and our life and our relationship with him is, is really about people. It's about connecting with people. Because that, that Samaritan saw the man. And this is what the scripture says in, in Luke 10. He had pity on him. Pity. Compassion. He had compassion. In fact, if you look at the miraculous things that Jesus did almost every single time, the Bible says, and he was moved with compassion. That he felt love for that individual and moved and was motivated to make a change in their life. If you really want to make a change in somebody's life, if you really want to make it a priority, you first must have compassion. Because compassion is the key to right relationships. Compassion. How we view our fellow man determines our response to them. Let me ask you, in our, in our world, in our, in our culture today, where everybody just loves everybody, right? Especially the politicians. They just love each other. So let me ask you when, you, when you, when you run across somebody that doesn't agree with you politically, do you see a political opponent or do you see a fellow citizen? See, here, here, here's my view on politics. You want to know my view on politics? I'm going to tell you. Because it's a great one. And you can disagree with me. You can be wrong. I don't care. Here's my view. Vote. Who are you going to vote for? I don't care who you vote for. Just vote. And then whoever gets elected, pray for them. The scripture says pray for those in authority over us. It doesn't say argue, bicker, complain, or anything else. If you like them, great. If you don't like them, pray harder. But... The politics and all of that is, is not, it's just designed of this world to keep our eyes here and not up 
there where they should be. And when our eyes are up here, when they're fixed on the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despised the shame. And now he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. If we keep our eyes focused on him, and if we keep our heart beating in rhythm with his, then in our mind is tuned on the Lord, amazing things happen. We don't care who's in office because we know who rules that office. And we serve him, and he's coming back, and boy, is he mad. No. <laughs> that one's not in there. He's not mad, he's happy, he's joyful, he he's, can't wait to get back to see you and I. Isn't that amazing? Remember the woman at the well in John 4? Here's, here's John, he's back in Samaria, uh, Samaria again, and his disciples have gone off to to uh, get more food and everything else. And, and, and Jesus sees this woman, and, and this woman, he says, hey, would you give me something to drink? He's talking to somebody that the Jews despise, and here he is, a Jew, and he's asking this woman for a drink, and, and this woman has this, this short answer because she's built up this wall because if you've ever been around somebody that you know that they feel that they're better than you, Have you ever been around people like that? You know, and, and then she's put up this wall. She's, she's had all of the remarks that she could take in her life, and she kind of gives this little curt answer to the Lord, and then the Lord looked past what she said and looked into her heart. It said, hey, if you had asked me to give you some water, I'll give you water that you'll never thirst again. What was Jesus doing? He saw her as a sheep without a shepherd. He saw her as a person that in just short order he was going to lay his life down for. He was looking at life as it really is. He wasn't concerned with her politics. He wasn't concerned with the fact that she had had five husbands and she was living with a guy at the time. He didn't care about any of that. What he cared about was here's a woman that needs salvation. And he saw the need and had compassion and ministered to her. Above all, above all, Above all, love deeply. The second thing I want you to look at is simply not just above all, but what it means to love each other deeply. How do you love somebody deeply? That word love is a simple, it's a simple word. You've heard it over and over again. If you've been in church more than a, a few months, you've probably heard the word agape. Uh, agape love, it means Christian love, it means brotherly love, sisterly love, family. You're loving each other as family. But there's something else about this agape love. It's not passive, it's active. It's charity. See, love can be passive. You can receive love, but charity is something, is love in action. It's love that's motivated. It's love that seeks a way to find, to bless others, and to heal others, and to encourage others, and to inspire others. And when Peter is saying, 
You've got to love each other deeply. What he is saying is you have to be moved with such compassion about those brothers and sisters that believe the same as you and, and, and others in the world that you are motivated to inspire them, that you're motivated to encourage them, that you're motivated to do what is right to help them along in this thing we call life. Love is not just a, 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 a word that we say, oh, we feel love. But he's talking about charity. He's talking about seeing a need and rolling up your sleeves and getting to work. He's seeing the homeless and deciding that, man, I have some extra socks. I'm going to go buy them some new ones and, and give it to them. It's, it's seeing that, that person that's down on their luck and, and slipping them a, an extra 20, even though you don't have an extra 20. It's, it's blessing those around you that that look despondent, and you just give them a word of encouragement. It's love, agape love, charity in action. I, I think about the, in, in Luke 22, when Jesus healed the soldier's ear. Here he is praying in the garden, and he had been praying, and it's amazing how prayer and, and love kind of go together, don't they? And, and, and here's Jesus praying, and they come to arrest him, and, and uh, and Malchus, I believe, is the priest's um, right-hand man. And, and Peter takes a sword and cuts off his ear. And Jesus said, hey, put the sword away. And here's Jesus knowing. He knows he's getting ready to be scourged. He knows he's getting ready to wear a crown of thorns. He knows he's going to be crucified. And in that moment, and I don't know about you, but if I knew that was going to happen to me, I wouldn't be worried about somebody's ear. Would you? And yet, Jesus says, put away the sword. It stops. Picks up the ear. Dust, takes the dust off and heals the man. Love in action. Even when his own life was in turmoil, he didn't lose sight of why he was there. Remember in John 8, John 8, Jesus had been teaching in the temple, had gone out to the Garden of Gethsemane, and the next day he'd come back in and he was teaching in the temple, and some of the religious leaders didn't like his message of love of charity, of loving your neighbor. So they, they go out and catch a woman in adultery and bring her to Jesus, trying to catch him in a trap. See, because they were, they were more about black and white, what's written. See, here's the one thing about if you, if you live a life of brotherly love, sisterly love, if you live a life that is full of compassion and grace, it kind of exposes those that are pretending because true love shines bright. And that's what was happening. That they were angry because Jesus was actually living out what they, what they said was supposed to be true. And so they bring this woman to him and said, Okay, Jesus, she was caught in adultery. And the law says, Stone her. What do you say? Law also said that you're supposed to stone the guy too. But notice they left him. Shows a lot about their motive, doesn't it? Jesus did the amazing 
And he looked and he said, whoever is among you that has no sin, you throw the first stone. A reminder that in this thing called love, and in loving each other deeply, we have to understand that each and every one of us have our own faults. It's easy to point out other people's faults. It is for me. Because I see all your faults. Actually, I can't because I'm I, I, too busy talking to the Lord about my own. But in this thing... Jesus was trying to help them understand that, hey, you, if you want to throw that stone, if you don't have any sin, if you haven't broken any laws, then go ahead. But I love what Jesus says to the woman. After, after the, all the crowd dropped the rocks and took off, and it was just Jesus and this woman, Jesus looked at her and said, where are your accusers? She said, they're not here. They're gone. And he says, well, I'm not going to condemn you either. The only one that could have. He said, go and sin no more. Just stop what you were doing. Jesus has love in action. See, true love exposes the wrong motives of, of the crowd, but it also, it also brought to this woman that was wrong an understanding that love is full of grace. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, he, here's, and the church in Corinth was really an amazing church. It, it was full of spiritual gifts. I mean, every spiritual gift, man, it was just, they're, they're listed in, the, in, the, in 1 Corinthians. And, and Paul is, is talking to this church. And by the way, this church was also full of, of sin, and they were overlooking some sins and stuff in their church. And so, which lets me know that the use of spiritual gifts really is not indicative of your relationship with God. It's just your willingness to be obedient or to surrender to the Spirit of God. The fruit of the Spirit is what tells you your temperature on your spiritual level, not the gifts. And here's, G, and here's Paul, and he's writing to this church that is so, so full of uh, wanting to use all the gifts, and I'm so glad that they were wanting to use it. But Paul said, no, wait a minute. Here, here I want you guys to understand something. And he, and he gets to that 1 Corinthians 13. You know what we call the love chapter? Man, if I had Barry White's voice, the love chapter. You know, wouldn't that be great? I may just get a recording, and every time I say that, I'm just going to have Barry White say it for me. Yes, my mind is running 90 miles an hour. Um, so so here, here's Paul, and he says, Now I want you to understand that using all the spiritual gifts and everything is great, but if you have the tongues of men and angels and, and, and you don't have love, you're a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. And he goes on to help the church in Corinth understand that if you don't have charity, if you don't have love that is, is helping and encouraging and lifting others up, all the spiritual gifts in the world will not do you any good. In fact, it is love, it's charity, it's love in action that is the proper motivation for all spiritual gifts. 
The reason why some spiritual gifts are misused and abused and hurt people's lives is because they're used without the proper motivation. And if you're, if you're wanting to do, you be used by God and, and yet you're not wanting to be used by him because you see a world of hurt and you're wanting to see God move, it will come to naught. So here's Paul, and he said, you have to have the right motivation. Jesus said, is said to have compassion on those before, before he did the miraculous. Love each other deeply. Love each other. Put your neighbor ahead of yourself. Do for them as you would have others do for you. Be full of grace, full of understanding, full of compassion. And then I want to get to this last point because I don't want to go too far, too long. It says, because love covers over a multitude of sin. It doesn't say love overlooks sin. It doesn't say love forgives sins. Even though, even though Christ died for our sins, for love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But what Peter is saying is that true love, real love, charity, agape love, protects the other person's character. Here's what Proverbs 10:12 says. Hatred stirs up strife. But love covers all transgressions. Here's the story of the three pastors. In a, they were out fishing on a Monday morning. And one of the pastors, he said, you know, I've, I, I just want to tell you uh, why we're here. He says, confess your faults to one another. He says, I've had a problem with gambling. And, and I just want you guys to know, I want you to help me with that. And, he, and the other two agreed. And, the other one said, well, you know, I just, I really have a, a problem with drinking too much. I just can't, you know, and I really want you to help me with that. And the third one said, you know, I've really had a problem with gossip and I can't wait to get out of this boat. <laughs> Love covers a multitude of sins. See, our motives are displayed in our actions. Proverbs 17.9 says, He who covers a transgression seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. Just because you know of something that's been wrong, and if that person's made it right, doesn't mean that everybody needs to know. But to love them. I think about Christ. Christ removed our sins. He forgave us. He separated them as far as the east is from the west. Can I ask you a question? How many times in your walk and relationship with God, other than the time that he called you to repentance and you, before you received him, how many times has God ever brought back your, your sins to your memory? Isn't it us that reminds ourselves? But God doesn't. Forgetting the things that are behind, I press toward the mark. The mercy of the Lord is new every single morning. God encourages us. Christ removes our sins and, and he separates, but God never brings them up because love 
keeps circumstances and situations between the two or between the three or however many it is. Love does, if you read 1 Corinthians 13, the Bible says it says that love doesn't gossip, it doesn't hold grudges, it keeps no records of wrongs. It forgives and forgets. And Peter is trying to help us understand, above all, make this your priority. Love deeply, love passionately, allow your love to be active, allow it to be uh, something that, that you're seeking, looking around, seeking ways to love on people, and allow it to be private. I'm going to ask our praise team to come back. Okay. Okay, sharpen the point. I'm going to stab you with it right now. Would you stand with me, please? Who do you need to either seek forgiveness from or receive forgiveness? Is there somebody that has just been in your life that has caused you great sorrow and you're struggling with loving them deeply? And you say, well, the laundry list is long. Yeah, it's life, isn't it? Scripture says we get our wounds in the house of our friends. But love. But love. But pastor, you don't understand what they really said about me, what they did. But love. Jesus said if you're, if you're at the altar and you, and, and you remember that somebody has something against you, you leave your gift there and you go and reconcile. Why is that? Because of love. Because you don't want anybody harboring anything in their heart that's going to affect their prayer life. Love deeply. But pastor, I've been hurt, and it's hard to put my heart back out there because I know they'll step on it again. Welcome to humanity. That's love. And you love. And you move on and you love again. And you keep seeking ways to bless those around you. Can I encourage you today that if you need forgiveness, it's there. If you need to offer forgiveness, it's simple. Just go ask for forgiveness. You say, well, I don't know how they're going to receive it. That's not up to you. Your job is to, with love, ask for forgiveness. It's their responsibility to receive it. God is calling us to, to love each other deeply. It's my prayer this week that 
each and every one of us not only see opportunities, but we act on them to love each other.